Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, I would love to quickly mention the Exploring Aware Parenting community with Danny and Joss that is starting again on the 25th of September. This beautiful community is a year-long dive into aware parenting, the theory and the practice to help everybody on the journey to feel more connected, to feel part of a group of like-minded parents and to have spaces where you can learn and lean deeply into all the aspects of aware parenting that you love. We have Facebook Lives three a month. We have a Zoom gathering once a month. We have reflections booklets, lots of resources, and a beautiful meditation each month centering around the topic that we're exploring that month. If you'd like to learn more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au forward slash community. Now let's get on with this beautiful interview. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today I'm so, so happy because the beautiful Marion Rose has come on the podcast yet again, this time to talk about her incredible new book, The Emotional Life of Babies, that was just released a couple of days ago and is now been number one yesterday in various categories on on Amazon. So it's really, really, really exciting. Thanks so much, Marianne, for making time to come and talk and answer lots of questions about this incredible new book. I'm so delighted to be here, Joss. Thank you for being the first podcast I'm going on to talk about it, as well as being the first person who wrote a testimonial, the first person who bought it, the first person, what was there? There was another first. Anyway, thank you so much for your absolute unwavering support always, but particularly for this book. I really, really, really appreciate it so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I just, I feel like this book is this sort of pivotal moment in our understanding and our culture about babies and what babies' needs are and about aware parenting. And as I said to you before, I think this is the moment where we'll look back on this and we'll say, wow, wasn't that an amazing moment when that book came out and changed everything? And I loved one of our fellow aware parenting instructors, Devon, wrote this beautiful thing on one of the posts about it. And she talked about how as a result of this book and children being raised this way, we can see that the future of the world is in safe hands. That was so, it was something along those lines, anyway, Devon. And I just thought those words were so beautiful and capture absolutely the amazing, amazing result of this beautiful book being out in the wide world. So thank you, oh, thank you to you, thank you to her. Yes, that's such beautiful words, and yeah, I'm so willing for that. I'm so willing for. Just imagining all the babies now born and all the babies to be born, having their needs listened to and their feelings heard as as much as possible within this disconnected domination culture, which I do talk a lot about in the book. Like, yeah, to really also hold in mind the challenges of doing this within this culture. But yeah, absolutely, a big big yes for for transformation. <laughs> amazing, amazing. 
So maybe we can start right there, actually, Marion. And I know, I mean, you've done so much research over the years in pre and perinatal and postnatal psychology and all of your 20 plus years, 22 years of being an aware parenting instructor and offering this to your own children, as well as all the thousands and thousands of parents that you've supported with this. But I'd love to yeah, start by asking you about this understanding that you have, this deep knowing about babies as whole aware, conscious beings who come into the world expecting to be understood and to be heard and to be able to heal from stress and trauma right from the birth and that they're always trying to do just that. And I'd love to ask you then how this book is going to be so important for changing our our beliefs about babies. And so what, what would you love for parents to understand about this particular aspect, first of all, about who babies are and how they come into the world and what they are capable of to start changing those beliefs? Well, it's such an interesting combination, isn't it, a baby? They are, in some sense, most deeply connected to their innate wisdom because they don't yet have any cultural conditioning, you know, as a newborn. So there's this incredible, yeah, innate wisdom that they are deeply connected with at the same time as being really the most vulnerable that they possibly can in terms of, you know, they they cannot do anything for themselves. They absolutely need us to respond, to listen, to hold them, to feed them, to to understand them. It's this incredible combination and it's 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 this really a window of opportunity and of course as we often talk about if if parents don't come across this aware parenting until later and their child's older or even you know however old they are of course it's always possible to to bring about great change and there is this incredible window of opportunity with a newborn baby and with a with a young baby in, in these early months and, and even years in terms of that incredible openness, incredible, deep sensitivity to everything. And and at the same time that they're learning everything about the world, everything about the family and the culture that they're born into. So it's just such an opportunity for us as parents to really savor this time and see what an incredible thing it is to have the honor of, of, a, of a being coming into our lives who is being so deeply influenced by how we are with them. And I think that's what I'd really love for parents, for our, for our culture to know that, that being with a baby is so incredibly important. It's so important. It's one, I think it's one of the most important things that we can do. You know, we, we deeply, deeply affect them and their whole life trajectory in ways that can be changed, but in, in ways that are so powerful. And um, yeah, I, I would love people to know that. And for, you know, as a culture for families to be supported, to understand, not only to understand how important that is, but then to be given the emotional, practical, physical support to really value this, it's the word I'm looking for, you know, it has a big effect this time. It has a big effect. Mm, so beautiful. Yes. And there is so uh, the vast majority of parents living in our culture, of course, don't receive the emotional and practical support to be able to really honor this process. And so there is often overwhelmed parents being bombarded with information, much of which leads to disconnection and and not responding to babies in the way that they need at all. So, yeah, it's really, really important that parents are given this information and then the support to be able to actually do the best that they can to to be listening, to be 
responding to their babies in a way that really supports their well-being and supports them to thrive. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things I'm really glad that the it went to number one in the pregnancy and birth category because really I, I learned about where parenting whilst I was still pregnant and that would be my dream that it's well way before then obviously but <laughs> in pregnancy for parents to be given this information or as many parents as possible because it's a lot isn't it it's a lot to have a new baby and to be if you're the mother to be healing from the birth and then to be learning a whole completely whole new paradigm about human beings and and then trying to work out oh okay you know what is going on for my baby here do they are they hungry do they have feelings to express it's it's mammoth so you know ideally actually having this information before there's a a newborn baby in our arms is even more helpful. Yes, yeah, that would be so much better, wouldn't it? To for us all to learn this in our early adulthood, so that yes, we're not having to learn in that very tender and often quite stressful period where we have young babies and where we're processing our own trauma related to their birth, probably, and where they are too. So yes, it would be wonderful to have this deep understanding well understood in our whole culture so that it's not new information that we're trying to process in a in a very vulnerable time so you talk at length and really beautifully in the book about distinguishing between needs feelings and healing feelings and how you can support parents to be able to do that so i'd love to ask you a bit about this process and first of all can you can you share with us what some of those what some of the needs feelings and healing feelings that babies commonly have yeah so this is a term this is not an official aware parenting term but just for the book I found I I really wanted a a really clear way of repeatedly talking about these two different types of feelings the two different reasons that babies cry but um but also that for for having feelings you know they might feel uncomfortable and that might be a needs feeling they might feel uncomfortable and that might be a healing feeling so i wanted to talk about more than just crying but actually all the feelings themselves so these of course are two types of uncomfortable feelings and yes yeah, some different types and so you know the needs feelings the ones we all know about so for closeness such a pivotal need for babies for for food for safety for attunement, for tenderness, for sensitivity, for protection from overstimulation, those kinds of things. And healing feelings is really basically the the feelings that a baby's feeling as they are healing from a stressful or traumatic experience. So that might be that they feel scared or overwhelmed or frustrated or outraged or confused or... What, what haven't I said? You know, just just all the feelings that we feel apart from the ones that we feel because of what we're thinking. So really these are just feelings that come from experience, experiences that they've had and the ways that they're trying to heal from those experiences, usually through crying and, and raging, but also through laughter and play as well. Mm. Yeah, amazing. And you write really beautifully about how to start to go through some processes to help us with this distinction process, because it is really hard, particularly when you first meet your baby and you're getting to know each other, you're getting to know yourself in this new role as a mother, and there's a lot of different factors at play. So it can be really hard to get clarity in, in distinguishing between these two things. 
One of the things I think you explain really beautifully in this book is what you call this triangle of, of research, where you're looking at, uh, on the one hand, the theory, on the other hand, the observations, and on the third uh, third bit about how, how the information resonates with you and what your intuition is telling you to. And you have this amazing checklist, not sure which page it's on, but it was on page 110 of my version, that goes through all the different things that parents can be looking for and observing in their babies to help support this clarity about what their child is experiencing, what the baby's experiencing, and what their needs are in response to that. Can you talk through some of that for us? Yes, uh, 27 things. No, I don't remember how many there are, but it's more than a page, isn't it? But really the, there's a few, ba- the most basic ones generally are muscular tension. So if we've met the need for of a baby or, or we've understood them accurately that they did have healing feelings to express and we've listened to those feelings in our loving arms and they've express those feelings and come all the way out the other side so they've really got that sense of completion of that or when they when they're younger that tends to be more little often crying if we give them that opportunity anyway if they express the whole lot they will also feel relaxed in their bodies their muscles will feel relaxed so one of the ways that we can tell that we've either accurately met the need or accurately understood they had healing feelings and they've expressed them is that they'll feel relatively relaxed in their bodies so if a baby is quite tense maybe they've got fists or they're tensing their feet or they're just you know you can feel when you're holding a baby especially as you get used to this you can really feel how much muscular tension they're holding and that really is one of the main barometers of how much their needs are being met and how many feelings they've got accumulated in their bodies if, if they're holding in feelings, if they've needed to dissociate from feelings, they'll they'll need to tense up in order to to do that. That's part of what we do. And you talk so beautifully about that fight flight response and what happens there. And you know that's part of it. If they don't get to come out the other side after experiencing something that's been scary or traumatic for them, and they don't get to release all that en- uh, energy and tension that was built up to fight or flee. If they don't get to release the tension that was mobilized to fight or, or to flee, you know, even though they're not yet able to walk uh, when they're newborn, they have that tension still in their bodies. So tension is really a key thing. And eye contact is one of the other key things because, again, if we've met a baby's needs or we've listened to enough of their feelings, they will generally be making relaxed eye contact with us they'll they'll be willing to engage we'll feel that kind of relaxation whereas if they have some feelings accumulated in their bodies or they have an unmet need they will tend to avoid eye contact or have a kind of staring look almost kind of like you know they're not really there they're kind of gazing off into space or they might have almost like a they're kind of looking at us but it's like a you can kind of see the fear in their eyes. And again, this thing we just don't see. You know, I see pictures on Instagram and I see babies and I can see, my gosh, that baby is, they're feeling scared right now. And you can see it when you start to know what to look for. But we just don't get taught to, to see, oh my gosh, how is this baby? How How is their eye contact? So again, really babies, you know, it's like the, they talk about the windows of the soul, don't they? They're communicating just like, any adult is as well. You can tell so much, can't you? If you, if you have your, you know, your partners come home, and you, 
you know, you're trying to look in their eyes and make eye contact and they're kind of looking everywhere else or they're just, you know, busy just trying to avoid looking at you completely, you know, you, we can tell. And what I often like to say to parents is it's often because they're avoiding seeing the love in your eyes because when they see the love in your eyes, they've got feelings to express. They can't help but feel those feelings and express them just like us. You know, if we're trying to avoid feeling what we're really feeling and someone we feel safe with and who cares about us puts the hand on our shoulder and and does look in our eyes and say, hey, how are you? We will feel. And that's the same for babies. So I think it can be helpful to start off with those two, really. But then there are all the other things that we just know about, you know, how long does it take them to go to sleep? How are they when they're sleeping? One of the other key ones is also is how much they kind of melt into our hugs and if we're holding them are they melting in or they kind of pushing away that there's a, a couple of mothers who are trained to be aware parenting instructors and they talk about melty baby <laughs> they they work in a mother and baby unit and I really love that terminology they've come up with that sense of the baby's got all their need, needs met and if they've expressed enough of their feelings I mean, we're not going to be able to listen to all of them and especially after a big crying arms, there'll be that beautiful melty baby. They'll, you know, relax muscles. They'll just snuggle in with us. Whereas if they're kind of tense or you just, you know, you hear often, don't you, that a parent might say, you know, but my baby doesn't like to be held or my, my baby's never been a cuddler or, you know, my baby's an affectionate. Those aren't character traits. Those are signs of tension from generally from accumulated feelings that they haven't quite had the opportunity to express. So, yeah, muscle tension, eye contact, and the extent to which they're kind of melting in or molding into hugs are the three things that we can look for most. Wow. I love how you describe that. And I think it's really interesting how misunderstood this is in our culture that, you know, babies are often seen as a sort of blob that's that's just there. And it's not until they start talking that they start understanding or feeling or experiencing and yet I love that aware parenting really deeply respects the the powerful knowledge and communication that each baby comes into the world wanting to to have with us and this understanding about how deeply they experience and are affected by everything that goes on around them. Why do you think it is that it's just that's so misunderstood? Such an interesting thing. I mean, I do think it's one of the core things as part of the disconnected domination culture. You know, if we were to really, really, all of us as a culture to really understand how deeply sensitive babies are, how they are influenced by their time in utero, their their birth, you know, how we are with them, uh, we would we would really be needing to change the whole culture to respond in a way that's compassionate and. You know, loving and supportive, it just would change everything. And I think some we all needed to, most of us needed to, to dis dissociate so much as babies because our parents, of course, didn't know this. So actually take on how much they feel and how much they need to express for most of us really invites us on a big, big journey. And that's a really big, hard, painful, long, but also incredibly uplifting <laughs> and empowering journey because we need to face it. Oh, my gosh. I was this wise soul, sensitive, taking in absolutely everything that happened to me because, you know, especially a newborn, they don't have any ways of filtering out. They're taking in absolutely everything that happens to them. If we're really to, to take that in 
as adults and to think about little baby us and what we experience. And that's that's a big thing to do, isn't it? It requires a lot in us to take that on, really. Mm, yeah, absolutely, indeed. And one of the things that you share, I love how the book weaves this beautiful combination of clear theory and explanations of things and information with stories from parents who've practiced this with this beautiful compassion that you you always bring to this work with these invitations for reflections for us and with the voices of the baby and their perspective too and it's really lovely and one of the things that you do time and time again in the book as part of this process is supporting parents with with our feelings both in relation to it, like when we're reading the book, how we might be experiencing some grief or some anger or some overwhelm or, or some self-judgment and, and starting to should ourselves. And also this part of us, as you just mentioned, uh, our feelings from our infancy too, and offering this invitation to keep coming back to self-compassion about that. What, what would you like to say about that part of this? I just think that's so vital, isn't it, to me? aware parenting like especially with a baby to to practice aware parenting and to be constantly hitting ourselves with those emotional sticks that we learn to pick up in the disconnected domination culture can only be like hell really because of course we're not going to know a lot of things in the beginning of course we're on a massive learning journey of course that we're going to just not know and six months or a year later look back and go oh my gosh you know I didn't realize that and oh I did this and this has had this effect and now I see my baby's got you know this control pattern they're dissociating or whatever it is it's so vital and because we are trained to judge ourselves it just gets in the way so often so every once I was writing it and every time I was reading it through and editing I was like yeah, that bit, that's likely someone's likely to pick up a stick there and, and say, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Or, oh, my God, how's, you know, all of the things that we learn to do. So I aimed to put in as many times. If, <laughs> if you're about to pick up the stick now, I really invite you to put it down because, of course, this is hard. It, it wouldn't be hard if we'd been doing it for the past, you know, thousands of years continually and that everyone in our community did it. And we lived in large communities of however many people where everyone was doing it we experienced it ourselves we saw it every day anybody in the community could be carrying our baby and listening to their feelings at any point in time i mean of course that would be easy this is of course this is hard we're, we're just doing so many things at the same time of course that's hard and so i just think we need the most amount of compassion we possibly can have for ourselves. And most people haven't got that yet. So to me, it's vital. Yeah, it's so powerful, isn't it? And I think that's one of the things that sets this book apart from any other parenting book that I've ever read. And I've read a lot of parenting <laughs> books. Yeah. It was like my control pattern when my kids were little to I read love parenting that as a control books. pattern. Such a such a really helpful one, isn't it? <laughs> so I've had a lot of experience of reading parenting books, and this is really the first time that I've read one that that does bring in such a beautiful tone of compassion throughout for ourselves to be offering that to ourselves. And of course, it is so powerful because then when we are compassionate with ourselves, we stay more connected and more able to support our children. And we're also relearning this, this way of talking to ourselves, which means that our children are going to learn 
I mean, they always say that the way we speak to our child becomes the way the child speaks to themselves. But I think it's also the way our child sees us speaking to ourselves becomes the way they speak to themselves too. So learning this language of self-compassion at the same time as learning how to offer listening and, and loving support to our babies is just so powerful and beautiful. Yeah, I'm so with you, Joss. And that's one of my key parts of my story is that my mum was so, so loving to me and, of course, didn't know any of this stuff, but her internal dialogue was so harsh. And I learned that. I had I had one of the most harshest inner dialogues of anybody I know, apart from my mum at the time. And that's why I went on this journey, not only to free myself from that and to have a really compassionate inner dialogue, but to help, you know, mothers in particular here to really see that, yes, because I saw it so often, all these mothers doing amazing things to aim to meet their child, their baby's needs and their child's needs, listen to their feelings and all of the things, not use punishments and rewards. And yet they were doing all of those things to themselves. They were judging themselves left, right and centre, of course, because that's what we learn to do in this culture. And you know, that has a powerful effect still. And there's not another thing to go, oh no, and now I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> it's just another part of it. Like it takes time to, to release these emotional sticks, but it really is possible to, to really get a lot freer from this DDC conditioning, which basically thrives on us judging ourselves, shaming ourselves, shooting ourselves. Really, that's great. Needs, you know, the more women who are doing that to themselves, the more stuff they can sell to us, <laughs> the more power they can have over us. No, <laughs> this isn't only about babies. Of course, this is about mothers and babies. And, you know, I include dads too and all family members, but really in terms of babies, it, I used to, I did my PhD at the Winnicott Research Unit, and I'm pretty sure it was him, Winnicott, who said there's no such thing as a baby. In other words, in these these early this early era, it's so much about the mother baby dyad, and yes, dads are often really included, and and you know, depending on whether it's or, or you know another mum as well. Um, but it's vital, you know, how we are in ourselves has a f- powerful effect. We can be doing all the things, and we can be doing it out of a sense of guilt and shame. But if we're feeling absolutely exhausted ourselves and we're never getting our needs met and we're telling ourselves that we're doing a terrible job even though we're listening to loads of crying, that's going to still have an effect. And it's not, as I say, it's not another reason to pick up a stick. But I think it can often actually be an impetus for so many mothers to go, oh, my gosh, I see this is affecting, this is going to affect my baby. So actually, I'm, this is the impetus to help me be willing to change and actually be more loving towards myself because I don't want my child to have this kind of inner dialogue with themselves. Mm, yes, it's quite a revolutionary and radical thing to do, isn't it, to speak to ourselves and to or to relearn how to speak to ourselves. And it was definitely true for me. It wasn't until I realised, oh, actually, I don't want my daughter. I imagined my daughter speaking to herself the way that I speak to myself as an adult. And I, that was a real wake up moment for me of, no, I really I just um, don't want to be doing this anymore. And so with just gentleness and gradually undoing it and lots of compassion and then receiving as compassion too, which again is so important in the book when you're reading your beautiful, compassionate words in the book, it's such a beautiful way as well to to start to learn what that sounds like, what that feels like to receive it. And that really reinforces the process too. Amazing. So beautiful. 
one of the things, one of the other things, I think I'm just going to start every question with one of the things I love most about your work. <laughs> Thank you, lovely. <laughs> one of the things I love most about your book is when you bring in this aspect of the baby's perspective and you use lots of times the, the baby's words or what we might imagine a baby might be trying to say to us because we do so often think about communication as being words. And I think it really helps us to to build connection and to stay compassionate and reassured when we start to try to focus on what our babies might be experiencing, what they are perceiving, what they're thinking, what they're needing. What would you like to say about that? What I'd like to say, one of the things I'd like to say is I'm really incredibly grateful. And again, this is why I'd really love uh, over time for it really to be understood that it's so important, you know, what we do in pregnancy and how we prepare for being, becoming parents is that I'm so grateful. I had 10 years of therapy before becoming a mother and deliberately, like I knew I had a lot of trauma to, to heal from, but it meant I was really spending a lot of time really seeing things through the eyes of myself when I was a baby and when I was a child and having someone support me and listen to me. So when I first became a mum, it was really, really easy for me. I just was thinking a lot about how would Lana be perceiving things? What might her experience be? Because I'd been doing that for so long. And I, of course, you know, I'm grateful that most people aren't going to be in that position, but I would love to support it to be more and more the case that you know, we're so supported to be listening into what we experienced as babies that as and and also given lots and lots of information about babies and what they're capable of, what they perceive and so on, what they understand, what they feel, that then it becomes quite easy to be just continually putting ourselves in their like, laugh, in their shoes, in their socks, <laughs> in their bare feet. <laughs> go, oh, how how might this be this experience be from them for them right now? I think it's one again, one of the most important things we can can do because of course, you know, if I, I invite anyone listening now to just look around them, like I'm sitting in my kitchen, which is my kitchen kind of living room area. There's a million different objects. You know, I'm not minimalist anymore. I've got a lot of stuff. For me, it's just like, this is just all my stuff. My, my, I look around, I've got concepts for everything. I know what everything is. It's not overwhelmed. This, you know, my home is, is my place of refuge and, you know, I feel calm and relaxed here. And for a newborn baby in this room, even though it's in the countryside and there's, you know, bird song and there's no car noise or any of those things, no phones ringing or anything. There's a dog snoring that you can probably hear. This would be very, very, very overwhelming for a baby. There are a baby, and especially the newer they are, they don't have concepts. They don't know, oh, you know, there's a cup and that's glass. Those are photo frames. This is a computer. It's a micro, you know. It's all stimulation. So, you know, when you see a baby looking around, especially when they're new, they're just seeing light and dark and shape and edges and colours and textures and they're making sense of everything. And it takes time to build up the sense of, you know, what, what this is and what, it, what it's for and how I relate to it and who I am in relation to that. That's just one example of just, you know, here. But you think about taking a baby out somewhere busy or just a baby if if there's several people and they're kind of they're waving their arms around there you know you can see often in babies movements that they can feel quite overwhelmed or they're just then they've come out of the womb where they were completely held 
with every all the light was muted, the sound was muted. They had constant food supplies. So they didn't ever feel different sensations of hunger and satiation, and the bowels moving and the digestive system working. It was very, very similar. Just that heartbeat. It's a massive, humongous thing to come into the world, and over particularly that first year, to learn how to do all the things that they do, but also to make sense of the world and their place in it, to understand what's expected of them, to understand their culture, to be already, you know, in utero, they're already learning about language, the language that their parents are speaking. I mean, the amount of stuff that they're doing and taking in is astronomical if we were actually to think of that, which is why it's such a, I don't think of the word even, but, you know, as you were saying earlier, when our culture thinks of them as blobs, I mean, it's just, the word sacrilege, it's like they're the opposite. They're doing more in that first year than any of us are doing. You know, even for our busiest time, learning massive amounts of things, growing and changing, like there's nothing compared to being a baby. And they're incredible, aren't they? Absolutely incredible beings. <laughs> That's just a little small, you know, subsample of all the stuff that they're doing. Yeah, I love that. I love how you describe that because it is so... It's so obvious when you understand that, first of all, how sophisticated and incredible they are, but also why they often have big, big feelings to share with us. It really makes sense when we can see it from this perspective, why they often have things to share and how profound it is when we can support their nervous systems to come back to this balanced, relaxed, connected, lovely state so that they're then able to make sense of the next bit of the of their experience and process their what's going on around them. Yeah, that's so lovely. Yes. I did actually want to say something about that, Joss, as well. And I think, and I, I imagine you have too, is like, and I think that's why, even when we know a lot about aware parenting, I think most of us underestimate how many feelings babies have, how much crying in arms they need to do to heal from even just daily stresses, let alone any trauma they've experienced. We completely underestimate that. And I know that was definitely my journey when I started off. And I thought, oh, Lana, I don't think she'll have any feelings. You know, I know this that they have feelings, but I'm meeting all her needs. She could, you know, she can't have any feelings. And then we started listening to her feelings and we listened to, you know, 45 minutes for an hour a day. And I was like, yeah, amazing. That's all. It's hundred percent of her feelings. And then I started to realize that wasn't the case. And I was really only listening to 50% of that. And then Sunny came along and by then I was an aware parenting instructor and he did, you know, he did a lot of crying in those first few months. And over time, even though I trained in infant observation, that was my background, developmental psychology, I'd been immersed in aware parenting. It took me quite a few years of my, not only my own parenting, but working with other parents to realize, oh my God, I've completely underestimated how many feelings babies have and how much crying arms they could do if we were able to be with it. Mm. Yeah, thank you for adding that. I think that's really, really helpful to to say again and again to people. And of course, the listening to feelings process is this ongoing thing that we learn and we continually practice and get better at and still have. I mean, I had a moment the other day with my 19-year-old son where 
I something happened and the way I responded to him after he'd left I was reflecting on it and I was like my god Joss you just totally like you completely tried to solve that problem so that he wouldn't feel stress in relation to what was happening to him and this is like 19 years later and I'm still learning how to listen to feelings so yeah yeah Yeah, me too and of course we are because how many years do conditioning did we have and we see it all around even even though we live in this beautiful bubble don't we where pretty much everyone we know does aware parenting it's still a mammoth shift so I just I just want to give so much compassion to anyone listening to this and I think it's part of why we were talking about this the other day weren't we I was saying I really wish when I was learning about it I'd had lots of sessions with Aletha because I kind of thought oh yeah this aware parenting I've read I've read her books and yeah I've got it and I'm doing it and I you know, there's so much I didn't know. And I just think, I just, I just, you know, for anyone who is having a sense that they'd like some one-on-one support from an aware parenting instructor, and there are many of them all around the world, if you are wanting, and if you do have the financial ability, I think it's one of the most important things that you can do to, to, to work with someone who's really understands this and can really support you to really speed up that process because particularly with babies you know so easy for them to get loads of control patterns it's so easy for that to happen and then things become way way harder so actually having someone with us I I just would go back and just be having at least you know at least weekly sessions with Lisa just you know I can just imagine how differently my relationship with Lana would have been and still you know I still see the effects now of of all the times I fed her when she actually had feelings to express, that still affects our relationship now. And, yeah, so I could go back and do that. And I know, you know, not everyone has the financial ability, but now there's also, as well as the Aware Baby, you can also buy this book if you'd like to. (laughs) Yeah. I believe that would also help, and which is part part of the reason I wanted to write it, is like all of that, you know, I love the Aware Baby. I think it's one of the most powerful and important books in the world. And it talks about all the different areas of aware parenting. And so when people ask me what's the difference with that is, and she has lots and lots of research. It's an amazing book. So this to me complements that because it just, it's kind of almost like a magnifying glass diving into one particular area, which is really focusing on exactly the things you talked about, differentiating needs, feelings from healing feelings. And how can we tell if we've observed accurately? And so really that nitty gritty in that area because I saw so often people going, yeah, I, I get this. Like me, when I was doing with Lana and just not quite getting some of the basic things, that rooting is a reflex. It doesn't indicate hunger, things like that, that I just didn't get. And so I wasn't reading Lana's cues accurately and that had long-term effects. So, Yeah. I I really recommend anyone who wants some support to really prioritize that above above anything else if you've got a baby and you want to practice a work parenting. Yeah. I'd like to ask you as well about the description that you give in the book that distinguishes relaxation from mild dissociation. I'd love to ask you a little bit about what's going on and, and how we can do this. And why does it matter? Like what's actually going on if someone's dissociating and why does it matter to distinguish between those two things? Yeah. And I think that's one of the most important things I've come to think that's probably one of the most important things to understand in aware parenting. And really I, when I was thinking about this book and writing, I was like, why why do so many people, even when we might give someone the information that all babies have 
healing feelings. All babies need to cry in loving arms. Just so many people just just go, no, 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 my baby, my baby, either, you know, my baby never cries, for example. Not all babies need to cry. What, What is going on there? And so to me, that's why I really wanted to focus on really understanding that we need to understand that so often we're taught in this culture to do things to help babies mildly dissociate. And it looks like we've done a thing to meet a need. So we go, yay, great. They're calm and relaxed. And they're not calm and relaxed. They're mildly dissociated. And that means we're not really understanding what they really need. And we're not reading their cues accurately with no, no sticks. And so we're really not getting actually what's going on for our baby, which I think can be a really painful thing. You know, I I remember that with with Lana when I realized, oh my gosh, I thought I was reading her cues accurately. And many times I wasn't. It's very painful, isn't it, when we're we love these little babies and we want to just, you know, really understand them and respond most aptly. And yeah, so that's a painful thing. So yeah, basically when we do something to when a baby has healing feelings to express and rather than offering our loving presence and our calmness and just sitting still and holding them in our arms and letting them know where they're available to listen to those feelings, we do something to them to stop them crying. So it's usually, you know, the movement, the jiggling, the rocking or the feeding, which is often called feeding for comfort or, you know, all the distracting in various ways that we might do. What the baby's doing is really the moving away from that connection with themselves. So that's why when we talked earlier about the that kind of dissociated look that used to be called spaced out, didn't it? Like, you know, their eyes glazed over a bit because they're not really feeling present in their bodies. They're feeling this kind of mild, you know, it can be a little bit numb dissociation. It can be a little bit of a, it can be kind of pleasant. You know, Letha talks so beautifully in um, healing your traumatized child, which I which I love how you talk about that too. I mean, mild dissociation is generally quite pleasant. And I feel numb, kind of pleasant, like us. You know, we're, we're probably in that state a lot, a lot too ourselves, aren't we? When we're just scrolling or something, or you know, just half-heartedly eating, stuffing some chocolate in our mouths and not really quite tasting it. You know, we're quite often probably putting ourselves in these states. But it's very different from relaxed presence and the main reason is because all the tension all the feelings are still sitting in our bodies or their bodies as babies they're just not feeling them because they're in this different state of consciousness which means those feelings are accumulating accumulating and leading to all the things they're waking up frequently and they're taking a long time to go to sleep and they're crying in the car seat and they try and put them in a a high chair or something and they're squirming and kicking and all of the all of these things that they're doing when they've got all this tension in their bodies that they haven't released. Whereas when we really work with that innate healing response to cry and rage in our loving arms, they come out the other side and there's this deep presence and true relaxation in their bodies, which we can we can feel. I remember so often uh, as my babies they were crying in my arms and they'd start off a little bit tenser and over time, they'd be moving around a lot, you know, lots of vigorous movement while they're crying, raging, the sweating and the red and the tears and the, all the things. And I could feel over that time, as the time went on, ah, oh, this just increasing relaxation in their bodies, more and more and more relaxed. 
And then by the end, often we used to have this little joke actually with my daughter when she was, you know, like two or three, and we we kind of do the pick up her hand test, and we'd say, "Have all the feelings come out?" And if her hand just kind of relaxed, <laughs> and kind of almost dropped, we'd be like, "Yep." Yeah. And if it was almost like still held up in the air, we'd be like, oh, "We've got some more feelings to tell us about, sweetheart." But no, when you've for, for anyone who's ever experienced this, and I think that's why often all of these things. Unless you've really experienced it and felt in your body as you hold your baby, that those relaxed muscles, how relaxed they feel. It's just like, oh, there's no weight there. It's just no tension. It's just so gorgeous. A deep relaxation and this deep presence. And then you're gazing into her eyes and just smiling with this just beautific look. And it's almost like the light's radiating out of their face and or they're falling off into sleep and they might be sometimes kind of doing this kind of <laughs> as they kind of, you know, their body's just kind of really <sighs> moving into that deep state of relaxation. It's completely different. True relaxation is one of the most pleasant, enjoyable experiences we have. So, you know, mild dissociation, it's kind of pleasant in a numb way. You know, like we know, if you think about when you've been scrolling or shoving the chocolate in or whatever it is, the glass of wine, it's kind of pleasant, but if you think about a time where you've been deeply, deeply relaxed, like so relaxed in your body that you're just kind of melting into the, I don't know, you might be having a hug or just lying on the grass or in a hammock or whatever, and it's just like you can feel every, it's just like pleasure. <laughs> it's just like one of the most yummy things, and it's like chalk and cheese. And yet, coming back to your initial question, we, we don't get, taught how to differentiate the two in babies. So we see the um, the mild dissociation and we think it's relaxation, which I think is such a it's a sad thing, isn't it? That we don't really see what's really going on for our baby. I feel mm. sad for all the babies, including us, all of us, all of us who, because of our culture, not not any fault of parents, because the culture doesn't teach us how. Mm. I love that description. It's really lovely. And of course, we can understand like from a physical point of view, when someone's in dissociation, it might feel nice. Sometimes it feels quite uncomfortable. Sometimes yes, it feels yes. okay. But, you yeah. know, physiologically, what's going on is we've still got adrenaline and cortisol cascading around our bodies. And yeah, how how sharply that contrasts with, with true relaxation, which is like you say, it's bliss. And when you see your baby in that state, it's it's literally bliss. Yeah. So it's is. just amazing. So, and I and I get sent photos all the time from mentees I'm working with with their babies, and they're like, oh yeah, they just had a really big cry, and they got the picture of them lying or either in their arms, or often they just put them on the bed, you know, to take the picture. And you can just see it's so clear, like their arms are open wider up above the head, and just see in their face this, this absence of tension, which is so rare in our culture. And I just feel so delighted every time I see one of those photos. Just go, yeah, because how gorgeous that baby's getting to have the most restorative sleep. And it's one of the greatest gifts we can have, isn't it? Feeling, being able to feel deeply relaxed in our bodies. Beautiful. Yeah, so beautiful. Oh, it's and, and, <laughs> and, and I want to say the other thing, which also the, the other part of that is presence the more tension they're holding in their bodies, the less present they are. And that often leads up to toddlers who may be falling over or bump into things. 
the more we're able to support them to, to move through this natural physiological process, come out the other side, feel deeply relaxed in their bodies, make eye contact, is also they're really present. They're in their bodies. They are present in the present moment. They're present in their connection with us. They're present with life. They're able to look around and see things and see the trees and take in new information. And uh, I know you've experienced this too so many times just with your children. It's just wondrous to see them having this experience alive. And I remember so often my children, when, like when they're a bit older, so I'll be driving along and they'd be like, oh, did you see that bird on that tree when we went past? Or, you know, did you see that? You know, they're, they're able to be present in the world with a relaxed body a lot of the time. Now, obviously not all the time, but again, just think it's one of the biggest gifts we can give to our babies and children, right? Isn't that the most wondrous state, isn't it? Be relaxed, be connected, feel calm, feel safe, have this deep need for emotional safety met and to be able to explore the world. Mm. Yeah, so nice. Imagine imagine yeah. feeling that a lot of the imagine. time. <laughs> Can you imagine what we like to actually experience this as a baby and then grow up and just have that as a foundation. I just, you know, we, we both see it in our teenagers and young adults children and it's incredible it is a completely different experience of life yeah yeah Mm. I'd love to ask you about the balance of attention because I know there's been we've had such beautiful conversations over Boxer (laughs) as you've shared with me the process of getting clearer and clearer about how to explain this concept as part of the book that balance between connection to the feelings and, and safety and connection to somebody else. Mm. What would you like to share about that? <laughs> I went through every single t- balance for tension. One of the last edits was like, okay, how have I described it every single time? And I'm so grateful to Aletha for articulating it so clearly. I really wanted to do her work justice in really aiming to explain this accurately and clearly. Uh, you know, it's one of the basic foundations of the way parenting is for healing to happen, is for babies, children, whatever age you are, to feel this deep sense of emotional safety in the present so that they can just do what they know how to do to revisit past experiences and feel and express those feelings along with all the physiological movements that need to go with that. And what I love to do as an aware parenting instructor as much as possible is to help parents understand this because the more they understand this, the less they need to be asking questions of an aware parenting instructor, for example, like, okay, I did this and this happened. I really like to help parents understand this concept. Yeah, really what we're aiming to do is be as calm and present and relaxed in our bodies as we can to understand the theory as much as we can so that when we're there, holding our baby in our arms that we are we've observed we understand the theory that triangle that you talk about so we go okay I'm observing my baby now and take into account the theory about whether they're not they're hungry and I'm taking into account how I feel in my body and, and what I'm sense I'm making of this and the feelings of calm generally the compassionate ways of thinking and that then the extent to which my needs are met mean that I can then offer this sense of emotional safety in the present that my baby can then pick up and have this sense in their body. Ah, this is an emotionally safe place here. There's presence, there's spaciousness, all is well. There's nothing wrong with me. 
so that they can do what they know how to do. Like they know how to do this stuff. And obviously after time, they learn how to not do it from us and then it gets more complex. But in those early weeks and months, they know what to do. So it's about us being able to be in that state and then noticing, okay, so what do I need to do? Do I need to do something to to move help them move a little bit more into those feelings from the past or is there something else I need to offer a little bit more in terms of that emotional safety so basically if they're not moving into big feelings and they clearly need to what do I need to do to play with that balance of attention so they can and of course this becomes more and more so after about eight nine ten months when babies become mobile and Crying in arms really changes completely to what I call the crying dance, where often we're working a lot more with that balance of attention and we're really needing to play with it and work out, okay, what, what do they need here? <laughs> what do they need so that they can feel that? I used to call it the sweet spot, you know, like that point when you, when you hit the tennis ball with the tennis racket and it just flies so that we can support them to feel that sense there where the feelings just flow out they're not hitting the sides almost they're just flowing out really freely rather than those times where they might be kind of trying to cry they're not really getting into it or they're kind of crying until they're tensing up their throat and they're kind of stopping it from coming out you know we're really working with that exact point where we go yeah and so much of our role as a parent practicing where parenting is we're like working out there okay what do i need to do here in terms of that balance of attention so that they can have a lovely big crying rage or so that they can laugh and, and in terms of attachment play, heal. It's, it becomes quite a, it's an ongoing experiment, isn't it? An emotional experiment. <laughs> what do I need to do today to help create the balance of attention so that they can do what they know how to do? Mm, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I used to find it really helpful to reflect at the end of the day as well what do I want to learn about today and how things went today in terms of offering this to my children that I might then understand more to be able to do this more tomorrow? Because <laughs> I was like, so, yeah, so wanting to to understand that. And then, like you say, it is this, it's this process where we, we move in and sometimes it looks one way and then sometimes it looks another way. And it, it's, it's so, it's that word, that attuned word, isn't it? It's so much about tuning in to, to ourselves and to our babies and to our children. It's just this beautiful, I think Aletha calls it like being a detective, really. That's sort of, you know, like that we're exploring and, and asking ourselves and reflecting and thinking and, and bringing in these three, those three components each time for us and for our children and getting clearer and clearer in the process. But it is a, it's a, what did you call it? A dance. I call it the crying dance. And I actually think you for saying that because I thought I made up the cry, the emotional detective. So I'd like to check out every time I do that, go, let's go and check out with Aletha. Did, is that her term? So I can say, not I say that, but Aletha says that. So yeah, we, we do, don't we? I used to do similar, like be journaling things at the end of the day and go, okay, so next time if that happens, I might try this out. And oh yeah, look, I did that. And this happened. It's a it's a fascinating experience, and I love what you said about the attunement and that connection with ourselves. I think about it as like a partner dance. That if we're doing like a, a tango or something, we need to be in connected with our bodies so that we're picking up what the partner is doing. And that's exactly like that with babies, isn't it? We need to be connected enough with ourselves so that we can be present enough to observe what they're doing or we can notice the amount of tension or you know we, they might be crying in our arms and we notice that actually 
I used to put my thumb in their little fists when they were little hands when they were crying in one hand when in the first early months. And, you know, just noticing, oh, are they pushing in a certain way and just kind of offering that gentle pressure or, you know, they're kicking in a certain way that I might want to move their position a bit or put my hand on their foot in a little way. Or, you know, it's just the more the more we play with this, the more it becomes this incredible process of being present with them so that we can be noticing their invitations and responding to help them in terms of that balance of attention. Oh, yeah, I see here that if I, you know, if I put just a tiny bit more pressure there, ah, oh, look what happens there that they move more into the center of expressing those feelings. Or what happens if I move my body a little bit this way? What happens if I say these words in this particular way? What happens then? It's this incredible way to help us also become so much more present because we need to be to be able to do this kind of stuff. Yes, it's such an intricate and fascinating process, isn't it? Beautiful. Oh, intricate. I love that word. Yes, it really is. One of the things you spoke about already, but I'd love to touch on a little bit more, is around when we start to really develop this understanding for our babies about their feelings and their needs, it often brings up a lot of stuff for us, for all the hundreds and thousands of times that we didn't receive this when we were children. And learning how to listen to feelings and, and all the stuff that comes up for us in that experience is is often really tricky. What, what are some of the practical things that you offer in the book as ways to make it easier for us to be then listening to the feelings of our children when big feelings for us are coming up at the same time? Yeah, so I go through just briefly in there's one particular chapter going through the and really again borrowed from Aletha's beautiful uh, list of the three reasons why you know why children have challenging behavior so really for us inviting us to go in and I know you talk about this so often is our thoughts so what kinds of things are we telling ourselves so really being aware of that and as much as possible to be unwilling to have the harsh thoughts about ourselves or about our baby to be really willing to to increasingly have the be thinking compassionate and helpful things, our needs as much as possible, having our needs met, and including in in the moment. Like one of the basic things I like I talk about a few times is having a physical environment that supports us. So if we know that our baby's going to be doing some crying in arms, to to if we can, you know, set up a comfortable space so that we can be supported in a way rather than kind of hunching over, listening to villains for an hour and, you know, holding them in one side where we're just putting all this tension in our body and where we're going to have a neck ache and shoulder ache afterwards and a headache and we're just going to feel exhausted. No, how can it be that we that we create this beautiful space for us, ideally that we can go to any time that's, that's got cushions and maybe it's just got a massive bottle of water where we just feel really, really, really comfortable, and particularly because we don't have this big community where we would be being emotionally held, that the physical environment can support us in that way. So that can be one of the most important things. So, And again, on needs level, also really basic needs for mothers, I, I think is so important, you know, seeing if you can actually go to the toilet when you when you need to, not waiting for three hours and just having a drink of water, having snacks around. just And I know these things can be really hard, but setting ourselves in this environment that can support us. And then, of course, having our feelings heard, one of the most important things, having listening partnerships or empathy partnerships where we're regularly getting to, to talk and to cry and to share 
so vital because again we're meant to live in community where we're really talking all the time whenever we needed to oh this is hard I didn't sleep much or my baby's doing this what do you think's going on that would be constantly available to us so even if we have a listening partner we connect in once a day for a few minutes that's really not enough but it's way preferable than nothing or once a week or once a month or not at all. Oh, which, not at all. <laughs> which is so often most people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that. One of the things you say at the beginning of the book is you start to, to give some really nice, clear information to parents to reassure them. Because often when, when babies are releasing feelings, they there's big movements. They might be sweating. They might be you know really moving their bodies, arching their back. They might be having really long, loud, loud cries. And of course, it's really important from aware parenting that we're always focusing initially on making sure that all of their immediate physical needs are met before we go into listening to feelings. What do you think is is important to to just clarify for parents about that? When 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 can we reassure them that it's all okay? And when when might they be wanting to tune into their intuition if they suspect something more serious might be going on? One of the things is if a, if crying is more high pitched or just sounds different to usual, or you're noticing that your baby just seems different in any way, shape, or form. So maybe they, you know, you just just in any way they just seem different. To really, really trust that. And one of the other helpful things can be, I think, is like if we can distract them from their feelings, if we can stop them from crying, sometimes that can give reassurance that there's nothing really seriously awry. I mean, they might still have some physical discomfort. They might still have something going on with their gut or some physiological tension that actually might need some attention from a body worker or so on. But but if you feel concerned, actually trying to stop them from crying can actually sometimes give reassurance that, oh, okay. Because if if you jiggle them or rock them or bounce them or feed them or do whatever the thing and they stop crying and then, you know, 10 minutes later they're kind of smiling or they're kind of happy, that can that can be really important reassurance. Like, oh, okay. And then you might listen again and they start crying again. That can be reassuring to know, oh, actually, you know, 10 minutes ago they seemed happy you could even have another go I'm going to I'm going to distract them from their feelings again oh they're no they are happy now when I actually stop the jiggling and the rocking or the feeding they move into crying again sometimes those kinds of things can be reassuring but just to know that it's a process and it takes time but again the more you're taking in information so for example reading this book you know, listening to your podcast all the things the more information that parents have the more they're going to be able to accurately understand what's going on so that information piece is so vital i love that yeah thank you you devote a whole chapter in the book to sleep and, and crying and i know you've had your recent chat um series on your podcast about sleep which is really beautiful it's so important isn't it to be giving our children space to be able to express their feelings and to be heard with our loving support in order to support them to fall asleep easily and to stay asleep. And of course, this is often the biggest challenge for for parents of young babies who are often absolutely exhausted and desperate to try and get some sleep. And there's a lot of loud voices out there that are giving some really painful advice about sleep to parents. What, what do you think are some of the most important things you'd like to share here about sleep and supporting babies to sleep? 
that it really is possible to have a baby and to have some restful sleep. And of course, when they're newborn, they're, you know, they're going to be waking up quite frequently, but to really know over time that babies' stomachs are growing. And if we are also listening to their feelings, they are going to be increasingly being able to go increasingly longer, longer, longer gaps uh, overnight to a point where it becomes quite manageable. And often that phase of needing to wake up quite frequently can move quite quickly when we're listening to as many feelings as we can. So it really is possible to have a very different experience. And and it's so much more enjoyable for for babies as well to actually feel more relaxed in their bodies, to have more restful sleep, more restorative sleep. You know, sleep is doing amazing things. Body's doing amazing things while we're sleeping. So that's such a wonderful thing for them. So yeah, really to understand that this is the third way with sleep. We don't need to choose between sound sleep and secure attachment. We can have both. And yeah, not not right with a newborn, but often relatively quickly after that if we're listening to a lot of feelings so nice yeah and that's a process too isn't it learning so that we can support children and sometimes when we work with clients they listen to feelings and the child sleeps so much better straight away and sometimes it's it's a more nuanced process and it takes a bit longer but it is so possible to slowly work towards having deep sleep and beautiful closeness with your baby and I think that's also where working with an instructor can be really helpful to to tease apart some of the things that might be contributing to that as well as to explore some of the ways you can slightly tweak what you're doing and how you're doing it with your child to support that yeah beautiful yeah sometimes it's a really tiny thing isn't it sometimes it's just like you know in that process as and I remember it myself we might just get one small thing that we just didn't quite get before and we might do one thing slightly different and a really big change can happen. And again, I, you know, that's why I so agree. Having someone to support us to to really, in that really fine-tuned way, go, ah, I, you know, I think it's, it's being an emotional detective for us as well, isn't it? I actually think this thing here could make a massive difference for you. And I think this is why this is happening, which often we cannot see ourselves, can we? Yeah, yeah. And the one of the final chapters of the book is about attachment play with babies and how this is another beautiful, innate, powerful healing mechanism to release stress and trauma, particularly that contingency play and the separation games and that um, non-directive child-centered play. What would you like to share about that? What I love about this is, is this is, tends to be more intact in our culture and there's often less cultural conditioning for people around attachment play. So most people will do some form of peekaboo games with, the, with their baby. That's a form of the separation game. I just think it's so helpful for parents to go, oh, gosh, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. That's that's a form of attachment play. And to know that yeah, that we can also really enjoy this. It can be hard listening to a lot of big feelings when our babies, particularly in, you know, in that first six months, that first year. So knowing that that play is really, really powerful and really enjoyable and that you can really trust yourself and that you're probably doing all kinds of things anyway that are innate because you know there is less cultural conditioning in, in terms of play. Mm. Yeah, I love those beautiful videos that you see sometimes online of 
people. There's one that's going around fairly recently of a woman just pulling a, a, a dummy out of her mouth and it makes a popping noise and the baby just giggles and giggles and giggles. And I remember the first time Sol did that and he just laughed and laughed and we just carried on doing it again and again, even though we didn't know about aware parenting then, but we just kept on doing it and how beautiful and powerful and connecting and, and joyful those moments are. So nice. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that it's almost like in terms of our evolution, like that's a, like a really helpful thing, isn't it, for parents to go, oh, my baby's laughing and I love this. Let's do this more. Not quite sure what happened with crying in arms. <laughs> <laughs> Something lapsed. Like, no, I don't believe anything went awry, but it would be really enjoyable if somehow that was really pleasant, actually, for us to – I mean, it, it, it becomes so. I experienced that, and I know you did too. It becomes pleasant to listen, but often not at the beginning. And I guess maybe that is the thing. If we if we had – yeah, let's – I'm going to scratch that. If we had listened – if we had had 100% or 90% of our feelings listened to as babies and children, I imagine it would be super pleasant and enjoyable right, right from scratch doing it with a baby, of course. So, yeah, ignore that part. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it will be. <laughs> which yeah that um, that takes me really beautifully into the last thing I wanted to ask you about which is the result of doing this with our babies and ourselves in terms of the adults that they grow up to be and and all the different ways that this has a profound impact on who they are I don't even like the word impact um but you know a profound effect Effect. Thank you. On, I only on know that because I often say impact and I also go, no, I don't like that. And so I know my replacement word is effect. <laughs> okay. Excellent. <laughs> Profound effect. Perfect. On, on who they are and how they are in the world. Would you like to say a bit more about what, what that looks like? Yes. Yeah, so many things. I mean, one of the core things, of course, is they get to heal from a lot of stress and trauma. So even if it's not all of it, that, that that's a profound thing, like getting to heal from their birth experience, however it went, even if it was really enjoyable, they still have feelings to express. And particularly if it was traumatic, that they're not carrying that around. And particularly for women, often it's very normal for women to carry that around until then, you know, we become pregnant or we're giving birth. And, you know, being faced with our own baby self whilst we're pregnant or particularly giving birth it's very very common I and mean, that just that is makes it really 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 hard let alone all the ways that affects our relationships and and you know our connection with our body so getting that even that in itself is a huge thing getting to heal from from stress and trauma getting to know that we can feel really intense feelings and that we can trust that we will come out the other side and feel calm and relaxed. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for, for most of us when we start this, because we've never, most of us have never experienced having someone be with us and having really intense feelings and coming out the other side and feeling really, as we talked about before that, like bliss of relaxation, like, oh my God, and look, everything's so clear and bright and I can see and I want to go and hug everybody that I love. I mean, most of us haven't really had that. It just becomes so much easier to trust our feelings because we know, oh yeah, I'm going to have these really intense feelings. But if I stay with them or if I have someone lovingly stay with me, I know I'm just going to come out the other side and I'm going to feel relief and I, I can trust my body. Not being scared of our big feelings is mammoth, isn't it? Massive. Having fewer control patterns, how helpful is that? That's amazing. I mean, you know, whether it's nose picking or thumb sucking or 
screens or reading or whatever it is, having few of those, much more helpful. Again, we can be more present, more present so we can just enjoy the simplicity of being alive and looking at the trees or playing with the dog. <laughs> just, you know, that's one of the hugest gifts, isn't it? Um, feeling deeply connected because, of course, the more we've had our needs met and we've had our feelings heard as babies, we can trust, we can trust that people will be there for us, we can trust that we're safe, we can trust that people will listen, we can trust that we can express our needs and feelings. You know, that becomes the the, the map of how we expect a relationship to be of someone that's compassionate and listening and caring. I mean, that that's amazing. I mean, we could go on, couldn't we? We could go on for hours about the, the potential. And of course, during this first generation, none of us is going to be able to do this all the time. Our children are going to grow up with, we're going to pass on things. They're going to have control patterns. They're going to be dissociated times. They're going to have all of these things that we have, but way, 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 way less of them. So all these helpful effects are going to be there, not 100%, but enough to make a massive difference to their lives. And mm. they can also trust. They can trust their own innate healing can't they They know oh i need to have a cry now oh yes that's what's going on for me i've had a big stressful day i need to cry i need to cry that's so helpful isn't it rather than i need to go home and have a glass of wine or eat half a piece of half a cake (laughs) i don't know binge watch netflix all night (laughs) yeah so beautiful isn't it so beautiful and just to grow up with those core beliefs that how you feel matters, that your needs matter, that you are unconditionally loved, that oh, it's just profound. I didn't even mention unconditional love. That's really the biggest one, isn't it? That I'm loved however I feel. That's, isn't that, if it was only one thing, that's, isn't that amazing? So amazing. <laughs> so amazing. Now, after talking about these things, I'm like, oh my gosh, this this book and all Aletha's books, they, they, I really want to go out to lots of people. <laughs> So beautiful. Yes, so profound. And I know that you've also written another book to go with this book for children. Would you like to talk a bit about that? Because it's incredibly touching and beautiful. Thank you, lovely. Yeah, so this is going to be like a companion one. Because I and I got more parenting ones and more companion ones to come, but this is called I Love You However I However You Feel. I love you however I feel, and I love you however you feel. No, it's just I love you however you feel. And really for parents to be able to read to their babies and children these kind of statements, you know, I love you when you're happy. I love you when you're sad. I welcome all your feelings. I love you however you feel. Mm. Just to really get into that we all have this mantra. Funnily enough, I was editing it and then I, I had a tooth in inverted commas infection last week and so I was in kind of that different state of consciousness we're in and you know my inner dialogue's like that anyway but it was kind of because I those words had been in my mind this this was all I kept hearing I welcome all your feelings I love you however you feel I just kept repeating around and round in my consciousness it was that was fun I, I like oh. the sense that the more we say these words the more they just become like second nature to say them to everybody we'll be we're going to the shopkeeper won't we we're going i'll be going to my local health food shop santos <laughs> going i worked well i do say things like that to people i say it to my mum <laughs> i welcome all your feelings <laughs> beautiful 
Beautiful. I'm just imagining hearing that as my younger parts hearing that and my 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 now parts hearing that too. And just yes, I'll say that any day of the week, I'll say it a million times to you and anyone. Gorgeous. <laughs> and to all your listeners. <laughs> so, so lovely. Is there anything else about this beautiful and profound and extraordinary book that you would like to say that we have I mean there's lots that we haven't had time to talk about and of course you know I really highly recommend everybody buys at least one copy and reads it (laughs) at least once but is there anything else that you'd like to share about it I almost have a sense of wanting it to be a little bit like a reference book so that it's something and it's also it's a reference book and it's not only for parents of babies that I would love it to be they even I imagine you have people listening who don't who are not parents or who I don't know whatever that it would be become a book that you know that you could look into and that you could find helpful things for your relationship with your inner baby or that if you have got a baby or a child that you could just keep dipping into it and see different things you know like I do with Aletha's books keep finding mm. new things in it that becomes a yeah, reference book for anyone really. I remember, I think it was Devon as well. She's she's does write beautiful testimonials like you do, and she said something like, "This is a book for anyone who's ever will have a baby, who's had a baby, or ever was a baby." <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that could be your that could be your subtitle. If you or anyone you know was ever a baby, this book is for you. <laughs> because to me. That's what I'm so grateful to aware parenting for. And in terms of my, not only developing the marrying method, but actually being able to understand baby me and what I went through and then the the depth of healing it supported me to go through. That's also what this book is about. It's not only the parents of babies, it's also to support us to understand our baby selves more. So, yeah, I love, thank you for that question. I love your questions. I think you're so competent asking amazing questions and I like I like that I've come to that answer too. Yeah, for anyone who's ever been a baby, this is for you. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So how I'll put all the links in, obviously, but how Lovely. how what's the most helpful thing that people can do other than going and buying and reading your beautiful book? Well, you know what? I'd really love support because I really have the sense that us as a community, like when people were sharing it yesterday or whatever it was, and we got to number one, it's like, we did, look, we did this. Yes, I might have spent a lot of time writing it and a lot of time practicing it and everyone, but, you know, it's us as a community that's going to support aware parenting becoming more well-known. So if you do resonate in any way, shape or form and you're on social media and you might like to pop along to my Facebook or Instagram and just share it, whether that's, you know, just sharing it on your stories or if you'd like to put it on as a post, that would be even more amazing. And uh, if you're on Facebook, just Marion Rose PhD, if you'd be willing to share it, I'd be incredibly grateful because what I would love is for lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of parents and people who have lots of followers <laughs> to see this book so they can go far and wide because how we are with our babies it is one of the most life-changing things we do and it is one of the most culture-changing things we do and we really need it right now so if you'd like to support me in that way I'd be incredibly grateful thank you no. <laughs> well I know that lots of people do want to support you Marion and I know that I speak on behalf of 
the entire world. <laughs> I'm just going to speak on behalf of the entire world here and say how immensely grateful we are to you for the amazing work that you do, for the dedication that you show for, for this beautiful approach and all the ways that you support parents everywhere and all the lives that you've changed, mine included and my children's included. And I really would love this book too to be number one bestseller forevermore because it would just I can really see yeah, the the effect that that would have on the, on the world and on our culture and I'm so so grateful to you for for writing it and I know what a huge process it's been to to pour so much love and so much thought into it so thank you thank you for doing it thank you for sharing the way you share thank you for being you Oh, thank you, Joss. I'm going to cry. And I want to say thank you to be, to, to you for being the one of the most amazing friends and support people that I could have who's just, as I said at the beginning, just like the, the way that you have supported me. I mean, that you do anyway, but with this book, is uh, I'm so incredibly grateful to you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, my pleasure. So I will put all these links in the in the show notes so that people can buy the book and share the book. And yeah, you were saying about the hashtag, the emotional life of babies, people using oh, yes. that. Is Thank that you helpful? Very much. I'm glad you remember that. Yeah. If it's on Instagram, hashtag the emotional life of babies as well would be great. Thank you. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you so much for coming on and having this beautiful conversation and sharing your wisdom. I could just sit and listen to you talking for years and ages. And I know that people who, whether they have babies or wherever a baby themselves, <laughs> will get so much out of listening. So thank you so much, Marion. Oh, thank you, lovely Joss. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.